If you will, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9. And uh, we want to read the first eight verses. It's page 856 of your pew Bible. Um, so in many ways, we've gone verse by verse. Matthew, after three chapters of teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, 7, he then turns to a series of miracles. And if we wanted to, we could, we could look at them in one large lump. In fact, chapter 9, we could really do that in, in, in some sense. Um, but uh, um, each one, even individually, is, is, is uh, full of, of spiritual wealth. Matthew chapter 9, I want to read the first eight verses. I think it's a story you'll be familiar with. So if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. The evangelist Matthew writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sons are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father asks, as always, you would open our hearts that we may receive your word, our mind that we may understand it, our eyes that we see your glory, our ears that we would hear your word, our mouth we speak the truth of the gospel, and our hands and our feet that we will go in obedience. Um, Lord, may you be gracious to us this morning. A text that is pretty straightforward. But will we actually believe it? May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son we pray. Amen. May be seated. I suspect... Even a simple reading of this story, you already know what it's about, right? You, need, don't, you don't need a seminary degree to, to, to read into the, the Greek or the Hebrew, because there's no Hebrew here, but the original Greek to try to figure out exactly what this passage is, is all about. You don't really need a whole lot of help from me. And so we could read it, you could figure it out, and we can go home, maybe beat the Methodists at the Cracker Barrel, right? That's always the goal. Um, and, and certainly, I, I do think it's a pretty straightforward passage. What is it about? It is Matthew's argument that after all this a ser- series of miracles, starting in chapter 8, verse 1, of the cleansing of the leper, the healing of the sick servant, the uh, calming of the storm, the liberating of the demoniacs, and now the healing of the paralytic. I think it's very clear. Matthew wants us, wants us to see Jesus has the power and authority to forgive sins. That's it. That's the point of the story. There you go. Now, let's go eat, right? The real challenge of the story is not what is it that Matthew wants us to get. I think that's pretty straightforward. The challenge is, do we really believe it down to our bones? Do we really believe what it is that Matthew presents us here? Let's start out here with the meaning, which is given to us right from the beginning, verse 1 and 2. And in there in verse 1, you see Jesus got back into the boat. Remember how chapter 8 went, right? Everyone says, I want to follow Jesus. He said, okay, all right. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think he will, right? And everyone says, well, I'll, I'll follow Jesus if. I follow Jesus so long as this, right? And then it says the disciples followed Jesus into a boat. What happened out there in the boat? 
It got a little rocky, right? And storm came and all that sort of stuff, right? And now look at it once again. Ver- chapter 9, verse 1, they're back into a boat. You got to be thinking of your disciples. You know, I'm glad it worked out you know, last time, but I'd rather not go through that again. But nevertheless, they get back on the boat. They go to what is essentially his, his home here in Capernaum. And, and here he's starting to teach again. Now, you'll notice here in verse 2, Matthew leaves out a lot of details. He just tells us that... Um, that a some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, I suspect you, you know the fuller story of this, right? This is a story where his friends grab a ladder and, and, and some, some uh, shovels, right? And they start to tear apart the roof. I assume they were part of the uh, tear, apart, tear Apart the Roof Committee at the local Baptist church. Otherwise, the church didn't vote on this, I'm assuming, right? But nevertheless, they get to the top of it, and then they tear it down, and they lower him down because the room was too full, right? The house was too full, right? Matthew leaves all that detail out because he doesn't want to get distracted by the details, as fascinating as that might be. He wants to get to the main meaning of the text. And what is it that Jesus says? Son, your sins are forgiven, Right? In fact, he says, take courage, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's interesting language, right? Take courage. Take courage. What is this man supposed to be afraid of? He goes where his friends take him. They say, hey, we're going to take you to someone who can can fix you right up, right? What is he supposed to be afraid of? Now, what's interesting is Jesus said essentially the same thing going all the way back to chapter 8, verse 26. Remember there, the, the rocky storm? Take courage. Why are you afraid? And he speaks to the storm and it is calm. And so we're, we are ready for Jesus to do something similar, right? There, he, he exercised authority over, over the cosmos. Here, he will exercise authority over uh, the sickness of paralysis. Well, and you notice there that not just what Jesus does, he, he heals the man, as we'll eventually see, but, but why Jesus forgives the man, right? You have a paralyzed man brought to him. Jesus says, be of good cheer, right? Be courageous. Your sins are forgiven. And then we are told why he is forgiven. That is because of the man's faith. That mirrors again chapter 8 with the healing of the centurion servant. Faith preceded mercy. Thus, right away, again, Matthew tells you everything you need to know about this text. It is about Christ's power, authority, and willingness of forgiving sinners. Right? That's the point of the text. But we go from that simple meaning to the madness of the passage, and immediately the church people throw a fit, right? Verse 3, Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your minds. Now, their criticism is on the surface legitimate, right? There's a reason why if someone were to come up here and say the things that Jesus said, um, uh, we would not tolerate that, right? Right, right? Because the implication of Jesus can forgive sins, he is making a claim for himself, right? We, we get this. This is why it's a pretty straightforward passage to, to understand. And so they are accusing Jesus of two things here. Number one, he's a fraud, Look, anyone can say they have forgiven sins, right? I mean, I, I can say that. I just said it, right? Your sins are forgiven. Anyone can, can say that. And so what they're saying is this guy is doing the things that come across as easy, right? Let me give you an example of this in, 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 in history. Uh, a few years ago, uh, we had a, a, some people uh, very well-dressed come knocking on the parsonage door. 
And they were representing a group I had some fundamental disagreements about. And they were there to convince me Jesus has returned. In fact, he returned in 1914. But you didn't know this, did you? They, of course, were the Jehovah Witnesses. Now, Jehovah Witnesses have, have made a lot of strange predictions, right? And they all proved to be false. But one of their final ones, prior to their founder's death and moving on to their second president, who really codified a lot of it, was that Jesus would return by 1914. Now, now go back in your history. What's happened in 1914? War. I mean, it sort of worked out for them. I mean, let's be honest, right? If I predicted, let's say, in late, in late 2019, right? And I said, look, guys. 2020 is going to be really rough, okay? Like by March, you're thinking, this guy may be on to something, okay? Right? He got a little lucky, right? 1914 was a rough year for, for us and the whole world. And, but the problem is, Jesus didn't actually return. In fact, they published books as millions of people will not be alive after 1914 because Jesus is going to come back and get them. So when they discovered Jesus didn't actually come back, what they said was, well, he came back. It was spiritual, so when the JWs came to my house trying to tell me all everything about 1914, I said, okay, before you go any farther, you're going to show me from the Bible in great detail the words Woodrow Wilson. Okay, now go, right? And they're like, yeah, 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 we can do that. Okay, this is going to be better than I anticipated, right? Now, now what you find in a lot of movements that, that are eschatological, they make predictions of the end times. The Millerites did this, Mormons have done this, the JWs have done this, countless other movements, is when the predictions are proven false, they spiritualize it. Because you don't have to prove anything. You just say it happened, and you either believe or you don't. Right, so, so what the test here is then, you're a fraud. Anyone can say that because you, you don't have to prove anything. We just have to take your word for it, right? The second accusation is that Jesus is a blasphemer. And remember, in this culture, to accuse anyone of blasphemy is a capital crime. To be guilty of blasphemy would be subject to execution. And their accusation is a justified one. To claim you have the authority to forgive sin is to claim you are divine. After all, this is what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 43 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Notice there, God, God reserves for himself the right and the authority to forgive sins. Now, the means of that in the Jewish system would come through the rituals and everything else, but ultimately... God is the one who forgives. And that is exactly the point Matthew has been trying to get across. Jesus, the one who cleanses the lepers, heals the sick, calms the storm, liberates the demonized. He has the authority clearly to forgive sins. Remember, the disciples ask, who is this that can calm the seas and the storms? The, the, the demons ask, we know, or he said, we know who you are, son of God. Therefore, Matthew wants us to see, he forgives sins. But you'll notice what happens in verse 4. Jesus knew it was in their thoughts. Verse 3 says they're talking to themselves. Verse 4, Jesus knew it was in their thoughts. Notice again what Matthew is doing. In case you haven't gotten the message yet, Jesus is the Son of God. And we can see this through his, his attribute of what's called omniscience. That is, he knows everything. They talk among themselves, verse 3, outside of earshot, he knows them in verse 4. And now every time I read this, there's a movie scene, the greatest movie, movie scene of all time. The movie is called Ice Age, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? When me and the missus were dating, we watched Ice Age and Shrek like crazy, right? And so there's this scene, right? I'm going to read it to you. Diego, the saber-toothed tiger, right? 
not a good guy, at least initially. Then he, then, then he meets a princess and they fall in love or something like that. So, so they're trying to protect this baby, but the saber tooth wants to eat the baby because that's what saber tooths do. He says, the baby, please, I was just going to return the baby to the herd. See, the sloth says, oh, yeah, nice try, bucktooth, <laughs> right? He's got the lisp. Love it. Diego, you calling me a liar? Said, I didn't say that. You were thinking it. By which point, Sid looks at the camera and says, I don't like this cat. He reads to mine. <laughs> I just love that. Just read that. Love that. Love that. Right? But you'll notice Matthew has given us two options here. Either Jesus is a blaspheming fraud, what the scribes are trying to convince everyone, or he really is the divine son of God. So we go from the meaning to the madness, finally to the miracle in verses 5 to 8. Which is easier to say, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. Do not overcomplicate that verse. Don't overcomplicate it. Let me ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, rise up and walk. The answer is both, right? I mean, I just proved it. Your sins are forgiven, rise up and walk. Even state employees could get that one right, right? I mean, let's be honest. That's, that's, it's, it's very easy to say. It's a weird question. Which is easier to say, this or that? But the point he is then making, anyone I agree with can say these things. The scribes can say these things. But the one who does the, the, the latter can therefore do the former. That's his point, right? Anyone can say it, and that's what you're accusing me of. I just said your sins are forgiven, but now what you're saying is prove it. Prove that you've forgiven sins. So he said anyone can say it. Only one person can, can, can heal the para, paralytic, and only one person therefore can, can forgive sins. Remember in this culture, they associate sickness with sin. Okay? So if you are sick or paralyzed or whatever it is, it's because you or your parents committed some sin. You could turn John chapter 9. Remember the blind man? And the disciples asked, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? Jesus said, no one, right? Uh, it was God's will for this very purpose in this moment in, in history. So too, they, they see that if the man is healed, that is the power that forgives sins. They, they've connected those two. So Jesus says, okay, you don't think I can forgive sins? Watch what I can do, right? Verse 6, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth. Authority has been a major issue in chapter 8, right? Authority over leprosy, authority over the storms, authority over sickness, authority over the demons, all that sort of stuff. To show he has authority over forgiving sins, I then say to him, rise, pick up your mat, right? You see how the two are connected. The demonstration of forgiveness is shown in the, the healing of the paralyzed man. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And that's what he did, right? I mean, we get nothing about this dude. He goes from laying down to standing up, and he leaves stage left, and we never see him again, right? It's, it's strange, isn't it? It's amazing. We assume that the center of the story is the man who's sick. But in all these miracles, I hope you've noticed, the center of the story is not the one being healed, it's the one who's given the healing. He gets healed, picks up his mat, goes home. And can you imagine? This crowd is, is very packed in, right? And, and it's like everyone had a coupon in Cole's cash, right? They're all just packed in, and the man just walks right through them. I mean, you want to know more about that, don't you? That's not what Matthew wants you to know. Matthew wants you to see 
Jesus in all of this. And so, verse 8, the crowd saw it. They were afraid. The New American Standard says, awestruck. And you remember before, Jesus said, take courage. Don't be afraid. Okay? You're forgiven. It's like he's anticipating this moment. Much like he exhorted them before, don't be afraid. And now we see the response to the magnitude of Christ's power is that of being afraid, being awestruck that they are in the presence of God himself. Well, as we said, this, the story isn't about the paralytic. It's a fascinating story. I love it. It's about Jesus. And there's three things I think that, that Matthew wants us to see about Jesus in this story. The first thing we need to see, Jesus can forgive. Is that too obvious of a point? Right, we, we knew that right from the beginning. Jesus can forgive. This passage forever settles the debate if Jesus has the authority to extend grace. The whole point of the passage is to say, he who can heal the paralyzed is he who can forgive sins. Right? That's the whole point of the passage. His critics were right to warn of Jesus' brash claims about forgiveness, for only God can do that. And all this entire miracle and all the miracles prior to this climax to this point, he who has power over the winds and the waves, he who has authority over demons and the devil, he who is, can heal the sick and the paralyzed is the one who forgives sinners. That's the point of the passage, at least the first point, right? Jesus can forgive. The second point is Jesus will forgive. Jesus will forgive, right? Don't, don't want to stop there that, look, here's Jesus. He can forgive you of your sins, right? He can forgive you of your sins. The point of the passage is Jesus will forgive the sins of anyone who comes, right? Isn't that what we saw? They bring the man to, to Jesus. Jesus, seeing his faith, says your sins are forgiven. He didn't ask any more details about that. Didn't even seem to notice that the man's paralyzed. He sees the man's faith, sees the man's humility, your sins are forgiven. It's as simple as that. And he did not forgive the man to prove he can heal. He healed to prove he can forgive. That is to say that Jesus is eager to forgive this man more than he is, willing, than he is eager to heal the man. Right? He, he, we know that he can heal, but we need to see that he will heal. And so the question then is, 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 will we then receive such forgiveness? I suspect there is still some here who, 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 who know that Jesus can forgive and Jesus has forgiven those people. And some of those people who, who may not be as bad as me, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I've just crossed that line. I've gone too far. It's just not for me. Right? No, no, no. We, we, we come to this text. We say we as hopeless as the paralytic. Uh, of receiving grace, right? We can't do it. This man can't walk. I am unworthy of grace. And the same God who will heal the man is the same God that will forgive sinners. 
Jesus will forgive. All we must do is receive it. I suspect there are even some believers here who, who struggle with constant shame and guilt and fear and anxiety and doubt and perhaps even unbelief and is all rooted in thinking that I'm not like those other Christians. Therefore, I've gone too far. I don't deserve forgiveness. It's not for me anymore. And here we see it's not just that Jesus can forgive, but those who come humbly before him like this paralyzed man with faith, Jesus will forgive. And that is true not just the moment you embrace faith. It's, the, it's true for every second of our lives. But you need to notice also that if Jesus will uh, extend forgiveness, so should we extend forgiveness. It's amazing, isn't it, how eager and willing we are to receive forgiveness of Christ, but how hesitant we are to extend the forgiveness of Christ. You ever met these sort of Christians? You're probably sitting in their pews. I'm talking to you, right? It's amazing that we think people have sinned worse against us than we have ever sinned against God. No one ever has, and there's terrible people out there. Your sins against Christ cost him his life not the case for you. No one has ever sinned against you greater than you have sinned, sinned against God. So why then do we allow people to rob us of freedom in Christ by refusing to forgive? Forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't happen. Nor is forgiveness is easy. But forgiveness is biblical, rooted in the gospel of Christ. If Christ can and will forgive, why won't you and I? Why won't you and I? How many people are no longer in worship because of that point right there? Well, thirdly, Jesus must forgive. He must forgive. You see, it's easy to see the emphasis of forgiveness in the story. It's easy for us just to keep it at a surface level. But the text takes us a little deeper than that. When the man is brought to Jesus, Jesus immediately forgives him. Now, let's imagine the scene. You're walking into the ICU. You see someone who's clearly in need of a miracle. Jesus walks in with you, and he says, oh, I have got great news for you. I hope you can hear me over the ventilator. I hope you can hear me over the noise of the machines. I hope you can hear me over all of this sort of stuff. I just want you to know, dear sick one, you're forgiven. And all around them is family and friends who, 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 who just don't know what else to do, right? And they think, this is it. We brought a, we brought a healer in here. He claims to be divine. And man, man he, he's going to heal the man. And Jesus walks in, offers forgiveness. And you're like, but, 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 but can you not see what is before your eyes? So too, when a man who is paralyzed is lowered through the roof and is very evident before everyone, this man is paralyzed. Otherwise, he would have walked through the crowd. He wouldn't need the help of everyone. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, look, a guy who can't walk. Rather, he says, a sinner whom I forgive. The implication then is, we see here, is that the greatest need you and I have is grace. No, 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 don't miss the point. Because you see it in the text, but you, find you have a hard time really believing it. The average American Christian has a hard time really believing that's true because it sounds really spiritual. It'll fit really well on your bio on Twitter. But many of us, we have a hard time believing it. The greatest need you have is grace. The greatest need we have as a community 
as a people, as a church, as a country, as humans, is is grace. If you talk enough broken people, those in the church and out of the church, about their brokenness, about their lives, about their history, and what you will find with every person you meet is a list of solutions that will be long, but will be missing Christ. I just need more pills. I just need a better career. I need government interference. I need less government interference, a fair tax system, another child, more counseling, less debt, time to meditate, a better sex life, another doctor, increased income, a different marriage, a change in bosses, time off, an exercise plan, personal achievements, more money, more possessions, perfect wedding, success, breaking an addiction, long vacation, immaculate long recognition, a dream home, fame, a championship, forgetting the past, a clean renovated home, more opportunities, YouTube subscribers, Twitter followers, or whatever it is you get on TikTok, whatever it is, if only I had these things, I could walk. If only I had those things, I'd have peace. If only I reached these goals, I'd have all that I ever longed for. But the text is clear. Your greatest need, whether you are the one walking your friend to Jesus or the one being carried to Jesus, your greatest need is grace. I still don't know if you believe me. Scottish theologian named Smeaton, he wrote, quote, to convert one sinner from his way is an event of greater importance than the deliverance of a whole kingdom from temporal evil. Do you believe that? To convert one sinner from his way is of greater importance than the deliverance of an entire kingdom a community, a city, a country of temporal evil, poverty, AIDS, whatever it might be. Do you believe that? Our greatest need is not wealth. It's not access to education. It's not a better life. Our greatest need is Jesus. And I'm amazed at how many Christians forget that. We get distracted by lesser things rather than the most crucial thing. It's not just that Jesus can forgive, because he can. It's not just that Jesus will forgive, and he will. But we need Jesus to forgive. Otherwise, what hope do we have? Your greatest need right now is grace. For your sin, for your shame, for your past, your future, your present, your guilt, your hurts, your sorrows, your anger, your bitterness, your despair. Our greatest need is Jesus. The good news isn't that Jesus merely said your sins are forgiven. But he accomplished it by dying for them. If You will really believe. Let's pray.